This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, algorithms and self-improvement. So currently the big problem with these algorithms is that their main and only purpose is to have you spend as much time as possible on the platform instead of trying to find the content that's going to bring you most value. This is kind of mind-blowing because it means that with that kind of granularity, Someone who is using this database to target ads can really fine-tune the ad to the personality of the person. We're able to whisper something different in everyone's ear. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So from social media stardom to policing decisions to whose job application gets viewed, even if you can get a bank loan, algorithms govern so much of our lives. But if I understand our first guest correctly, we don't even always understand exactly why these algorithms make the decisions that they make. Our first guest studies disinformation, algorithms, algorithmic fairness, and the impact that social media sites have on our lives. This is artificial intelligence researcher Mark Fadul. So you study disinformation. How bad is it at this point? I mean, it's uh, it's been a, a long-lasting issue for, for the past few years. First of all, you have the. I think it's important to distinguish disinformation from misinformation. Uh, so misinformation is when someone gets something wrong, and it is different from disinformation where there is an intent to to deceive and to spread a, a false. Who is who is doing that? So you have uh, like state actors are uh, increasingly. Uh, kind of involved in uh, computational propaganda campaigns, uh, as we can say, uh, which can be a much faster and greater impact and much cheaper, both financially and in terms of political costs, than carrying uh, a full-on military action. And so that's something that we are seeing increasingly. Is it more prevalent, like in, in certain areas? Like, are are you seeing more disinformation on certain platforms, or what are you kind of seeing there? Yes, I mean, it's it's definitely a widespread phenomenon, but some platforms are more prone to disinformation than others. In particular, platforms where people uh, that people are accessing to consume news and information tend to be. Facebook for for a long time and and it still has been kind of where uh, most of the disinformation was happening and then it was uh, like YouTube was also like a, a, a really big platform. Um, YouTube particularly because of the nature of like video content tends to be uh, kind of more uh, convincing and it's easier to kind of steer the attention of the audience towards, uh, for example, for conspiratorial content. It's uh, video is kind of a much more effective medium. Twitter, you only have 140 characters and typically someone's going to stay for five seconds uh, maximum on a, on a tweet. 
uh, as compared to if you if you have someone watching a video for 15 or 20 minutes uh, and, and their attention is going to be much more focused on on whatever the the inform- the video is uh, is conveying why do you think though that people kind of seem to gravitate towards this stuff like why does it rise to the top so easily so yeah there are kind of several phenomenon there is first of all uh, human nature where kind of we are naturally enticed to searching for and being appealed by new information um, and so we can kind of have a, a bias for sensationalist content and kind of uh, ideas that seem novel and so disinformation typically tends to be more more novel and more different than what you see uh, in the in the press usually and then you have a, a whole other phenomenon because of that you have a phenomenon of algorithmic amplica- amplification that is happening because the platforms so the main way with which people access content on uh, on social media platforms is through recommender systems uh, so you're on you're on facebook you have a news feed uh, so the feed that you're seeing is actually an algorithm which is selecting for you the content that you're going to consume. Because if you take all your friends and all the things that have, they have been posting, there are tens of thousands of, of posts that could be relevant for you to see at a given moment. But the algorithm is going to select just a few of them and display these on the newsfeed. And the way it's going to select this content is by picking the content that is most likely to generate engagement. Uh, and this is the same phenomenon happening on all the platforms. Like on Twitter, you also have the same feed. And on YouTube, uh, actually 70% of the content watched on YouTube comes from one of the recommendation engine, which is either the homepage where you arrive and you have like a selection of videos uh, that is chosen by also a, a YouTube algorithm. Or when you start watching a video, then you also have some uh, some videos recommended on the sidebar and the autoplay and all of this is recommended content. And so the recommender system is trained and optimized to maximize engagement. And therefore, it's going to pick naturally the content that tends to do that best. And this information and in general sensationalist or sometimes polarizing content tends to generate more engagement because we have kind of this natural tendency to be looking for this novelty. Um, the algorithm is going to promote them with a higher likelihood than, uh, than uh, uh, normal disinformation, normal inf- like a standard in- or legitimate information. When you look at the way that these algorithms are put together, what do you think about them? Like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Or is this just the way that it is? I mean, it is a, it is a necessary thing, first of all, because you have a, a thing, you have kind of like a billion, billions of videos on YouTube. You need a way to browse and access this content uh, because that's the whole value of this platform is to is to be uh, platforms that are so rich and have such a big diversity of content. But then we, you need to um, you need a way to kind of pick one video or another, and it's impossible to do if you don't have kind of uh, an interface to the this massive database behind. Today, it is these, these recommender these recommendations algorithm are the interface that you have to access the content. Now there are design choices uh, in the ways that these algorithms have been uh, implemented that are really critical and that are very debatable. Um, and so some things are, um, are just haven't been sought very carefully uh, and other are just kind of design choices that are aligned with the financial interests of the platform. And which is why, uh, and in particular, the fact that algorithms are essentially just trying to maximize engagement constantly is, um, is directly uh, a consequence of the fact that uh, platforms are trying to maximize uh, advertising uh, uh, revenues, which are directly correlated to the amount of time that you're spending on the platforms. So currently, the big problem with these algorithms is that their main and only purpose is to have you spend as much time as possible on the platform instead of trying to find the content that's going to bring you most value. So for example, if you go on YouTube and you're going to spend like, two hours watching funny cat videos, it's good. It's not, it's not like 
a bad thing per se, but is it the best use of your time as opposed to recommending something which might be a little bit harder to engage with on the face of it, like um, some sort of documentary, an NPR documentary? It's going to have a, a smaller click-through rate as a recommendation, so like it's going to be less engaging. Uh, but it might bring more value to the users than watching another cat video that you've already watched like thousands of them. But for YouTube, it's better to, to show the cat video because it's going to be like more clicks and like shorter videos and more uh, opportunities to, to, to display ads in the meantime, as opposed to uh, a content that might be richer, but less monetizable. The question that I would necessarily have is, are they manipulating us? I mean... In a way, uh, the same way that casinos are, like are casinos manipul manipulating you? Yeah, I mean, it depends. They're trying to, they're definitely trying to uh, capture your attention and they have actually the same uh, design techniques that were used in the, ca in the casinos have been implemented in the algorithm. So for example, the, the, the notion of like, having a reward that you don't, you don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point you're going to get this little notification that's going to say ding, and like you're going to get a dopamine rush as soon as you're going to get this, this, this notification and you're going to be, and, and you're kind of expecting it and waiting for it. And this is really a, a, a strategy uh, that is used to keep people hooked on the platform. And like, as soon as you're going to uh, stop engaging engaging as much as the platform, they're going to send you a little notification and a reminder to to go back and engage. So this kind of intermittent gratification is really kind of designed to to uh, to keep people uh, addicted to the services. And it's really, I mean, it's a it's a very competitive space for the platforms because you have uh, you have a, a bunch of them like Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. Instagram, and they're all competing for your attention. And they're constantly trying to grow that pie by, by having people spend more and more time on their devices. Is there one, when you look at the kind of algorithms for different social media platforms, is there one that stands out as being the worst or the best in terms of actually getting you to the stuff that you would want? I think, I mean, there there is a, a lot of they're mostly designed in in pretty similar way, which is maximizing engagement, as I was saying. Uh, now, and also they have something else that is pretty similar among them is that they give you very little control as to what you actually want to see. So for example, when you go on Facebook, you have this kind of mix of baby pictures from your high school friends and news articles uh, friend by, shared by your neighbor. And these are kind of two very different intentions. Like when you go on Facebook, are you here to see your like your friend's picture? Or are you here to read the news? And they're not really asking for for your opinion before. They're just going to throw all these things and see what's going to work and then like update the session uh, like that. Same on YouTube, same on Twitter. It's just like you don't have a lot of user control as to what is being recommended. And that is a very common feature. And when you look at the newer platforms such as TikTok, it's even more going on that direction where you have the for you feed is literally like one feed with just one piece of content at a time and you just scroll like that. This is kind of, to me, uh, a big uh, kind of a big problem right now is you don't really have any form of user input as to what is being recommended. And they're just trying to guess uh, what you want by looking at what you engage with. But it's actually kind of, these are two different things. Because if you show, um, it's the same same as with food, for example. If you, why, why do we not put like soda streams uh, in, the, in the high school? It's like, of course, if you, if you constantly have this really engaging, addictive content, people are going to click on it, just such as like clickbait, for example. You have like these titles, like, like you're not going to believe what happens next, for example, that kind of title. People click on it. They click on it and then they see a video that is actually completely meaningless and uh, and they and then they regret it. So it's like, oh, I'd rather probably not have watched this video and I would rather have done something else instead. But from the algorithm perspective, you still engage with it. So it's still one click. It's a win for the algorithm. So they're going to continue to promote this, this piece of content. I mean, all the platforms have this same kind of design problem. And I don't think there is one that really stands out in, in, in correcting it. Now, not all the platforms are the same. We were talking about disinformation earlier. 
Uh, and in terms of content moderation, which is kind of a, a different aspect of that, which is which content do you keep on the platform or which content do you demote and stop recommending? Uh, and here we have seen some kind of pretty different uh, uh, answers from the platforms. Uh, in the, the la latest election, for example, uh, uh, the 2020 election in the US, uh, Twitter uh, has um, uh, decided to uh, ban all forms of political ads on the platform, which was a very courageous and and uh, and and, um, and very good move from their end. Whereas they, there was lots of money involved because there was like billions of, of dollars of advertising dollars that are invested on social media during the campaign, and they basically turned this money down to preserve the, the integrity of the platforms because we know that this, like political, this, uh, political um, ads during the campaign is uh, really the main way in which uh, disinformation is spread and mostly the most dangerous way in which it is spread because it allows not only to spread false ideas, but it allows to spread targeted false ideas. That was kind of what really stood out of the Cambridge Analytica scandal, uh, if people remember that, which was uh, during the, the 2016 election, um, kind of the, even during the Brexit campaign, there was this company called Cambridge Analytica that had uh, uh, obtained uh, a hacked uh, a, a database of personalized uh, Facebook profiles uh, with a lot of information about more than half of the of U.S. voters uh, were in that list, and you had a, a list of all the pages that they liked on Facebook, and uh, so you know you knew all the basically all the newspapers that they read, like all their like hobbies and interests, and like their favorite music stars and all of that. There is some research that was done that showed that you if you use that list of Facebook interests and Facebook pages that you're using. There is, a, if you're trying to predict the personality of someone using these uh, uh, this information, so the the pages and profile that they that they like on Facebook, it has an impressive precision. Basically, with 20 pages, you're gonna be as good at guessing someone's personalities and their friends, and with about a hundred pages, you're gonna be as good as guessing their personalities than their spouse, and this is kind of mind-blowing because it means that with that kind of granularity, someone who is using this database to target ads can really fine-tune the ad to the personality of the person. So if someone is, for example, anxious and you're a campaign director, you're going to be able to say, okay, I need to, all the person who are really anxious, I need to target some, some ads that are um, really focusing on danger such as like immigration danger or like insecurity and things like that and if if you have someone who seems to be like much more like uh, maybe optimistic person or someone who who is kind of uh, uh, seem to be more like of an entrepreneur profile then you're going to be able to maybe target really ads that are targeted on business issues or or, or things like that we're able to whisper something different in everyone's ear and, and this is something really powerful for a politician because you can then basically make 20 different campaigns and they're all like uh, uh, really targeted to specific types of people, in particular in swing states. And you have such a granularity that you can really target people with a, 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 an impressive precision. And actually, it's not something that can happen on any other media. And it's kind of something that uh, is makes quality media what it is is that it's 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 shown the same information is shown to everyone else so everyone can rely on the same kind of notion of, of reality and here if you start having everyone is is kind of receiving different information that's what we're seeing right now and it's what is sometimes called the post-truth era it's like you don't have any more a kind of a, a, a basis of truth on which everyone can agree and facts that are that are kind of agreed upon widely enough so that discourse and debate can happen because if no one agrees on the fact because they're all seeing like completely different information then that's where you get to like a state of polarization that we're 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 seeing right now that makes sense right like if everybody is hearing a different message then no one can mm -hmm. agree on anything absolutely now is there any kind of backlash that's happening with this 
or do people just not really know about uh, it? Yeah, so yeah. there has been, I, I think, since 2016, it was kind of like the year where really there was a big tech clash uh, and everyone kind of pointed at the uh, at the platform and Facebook in particular because Facebook was culprit of the way all this data was gathered, which allowed this highly targeted campaign to happen, was that they had absolutely terrible privacy practice and policies. And the way the data was gathered was simply through, you know, like these little personality tests that you can take on on, uh, on Facebook that you used to be able to take where you're like, hey, play that little game and, and we're going to give you like uh, your personality. So it was one of these games where people say someone launched that game and had like a couple of, uh, of uh, tens of thousands of people to, to play. And then anyone who played, uh, the developer was not only able to collect all of their Facebook profile, but also all of their friends. And then that basically makes such a big exponential growth in terms of data collection. And so this way they were able to collect, if you, if you take 10,000 people and you collect not only their net, not only their profile, but also all of their network, then you get to a really huge database. And this is kind of preposterous that Facebook was letting this kind of, was technically making it possible for people to do that. And of course, it was allegedly against them terms of service and the people were not supposed to have used the service this way. But of course, if you leave the door wide open, people are going to do it. And so there was a really big backlash uh, um, uh, at Facebook uh, and, uh, and the rest of the kind of the tech industry. And they have been uh, definitely... I mean, people had been pointing at these problems for a long time, but it it, it really is only because there are no uh, the, there is no incentive for platforms really to to moderate content or to get rid of disinformation, except for uh, public pressure. And so this was the first time that there was really a lot of public pressure pointing at the problem, which kind of forced them to and and also a whole movement of like boycott and people trying to like. Uh, uh, disinstall Facebook and all that. When they started out, though, was this always the goal, or was this something that just kind of happened for, for platforms? Like platforms are not yeah. ill-intended per se, which is like they did they did not absolutely intend to have their platform become a, a, a medium for for disinformation and and propaganda. Uh, but the the problem is that the, there hasn't been enough careful thinking about the social impact of the technology that was being developed. The engineers who are designing the algorithm kind of have like their KPIs. They hear they're like, okay, I've been told that I need to maximize engagement, and and this decision is taken uh, only by Mark Zuckerberg, who controls sixty percent of the voting share at Facebook. So he really takes every decision that's important, which is kind of preposterous for a single person to have so much power when you think that the same company controls WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, and there is no shared power whatsoever within the the, the company. Uh, the board has no, basically no power. Uh, and so Mark Zuckerberg takes all these kind of important decision, which is, uh, remains a fact that the algorithm is just optimizing for engagement. And if you don't think about what that means in terms of what kind of content is going to be promoted as a consequence of that, and who can abuse and game the system, then you are really missing on a big important part of it. What is algorithmic algorithmic fairness? What is that? So algorithmic fairness is the idea of trying to uh, make sure. I mean, it's a, it's has become kind of a field of trying to say, okay, how do we make algorithm more fair? Because there are in many cases algorithms are taking uh, increasingly important decisions in our lives. Uh, uh, so, for example, if you're applying for a job, it's not unlikely at all that uh, an algorithm is going to review your your resume. Uh, for, it's going to be the first filter. Uh, if you um, in the justice in, in the U.S., you have algorithms who are assessing the risk of recidivism that you might uh, have as a defendant, and and depending on that judgment, you might be sent to jail or released. All these really kind of increasingly important uh, uh, um, decisions, or, or for example, taking a loan. You go at the bank. Uh, oftentimes, it's going to be an algorithm that's going to review your your um, your profile and decide whether uh, you, the bank is going to give you a loan or not. So when you have all these these AIs, most of them and they are trained on uh, uh, it's called what's called supervised machine learning, which is like you feed the system 
historical data and you tell the system, okay, now learn from this data what is like what makes so for example if you take the bank example you're going to feed the system all the history of of uh, of uh, people who have uh, borrowed money and those who reimbursed and those who did not and then you're going to tell the system now learn from this data what is a pattern that makes someone reimburse uh, its loan or not and use these patterns to now predict if this new person who's coming is going to be more likely to reimburse or not and when you do that, you are, of course, also capturing if your data that you're feeding in the system is biased, you're going to, the algorithm is going to learn from that bias. So, for example, if uh, in the, again, in the bank, it tends to be in, in the US that African Americans are less, uh, tend to have like less good credit scores for, for many reasons that are deeply rooted in, in historical discrimination uh, in, in, the, in the country. Uh, and, and this is, shows up in the data, which is if you look at uh, an African-American is going to be less likely to, to reimburse. And so if you just feed the, the data like that to, to your algorithm, it's going to learn this bias and it's going to then start discriminating against African-Americans. And, and even if you don't tell and include the race as a parameter in your model, it's going to learn it from uh, the postal code, for example, because postal code is highly correlated to race. And then it's going to learn that some postal code tend to reimburse less well than others. And so because it's illegal to discriminate on, on, on race uh, and also it's just like completely unethical, there is this need for to kind of teach the algorithm how to be fair and not how to not discriminate uh, against certain criteria. So uh, this is kind of the one of the idea of algorithmic fairness is to introduce what you call a fairness proposition, where you're going to force your algorithm to give loan at the same rate at the same rate, for example, for for men and women, or for uh, African American and 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 white, and you can embed this fairness proposition in the system and constrain it to respect it. Kind of sounds like computational stereotyping in a way. Yeah, I mean, your, uh, your algorithm is going to uh, reproduce whatever stereotype or bias you have in the data. You, you, an, another really good example is predictive policing. Cops basically use algorithm to predict where crimes are going to happen. And so if you feed the the historical data there's going to be neighborhoods where most crime has happened historically so they're going to say okay you should go patrol around this neighborhood this is where it's happening and so they go there and they find petty petty crime and then they report this way they report more crimes and these new crimes are being fed in the systems and the system learns that there is more crime in this area but it's also there's more crime because there's more cops and and it's and it's sending more cops and and so it's kind of doing this this uh, uh, feedback loop that is reinforcing the bias through the through the system, and so you can really not only capture a stereotype but also reinforce them if you if if these systems are not uh, kind of uh, designed carefully. Now you did some research on TikTok as well, and one of the things that kind of jumped out at me and correct me if I'm wrong, it's basically the idea that the system is kind of automatically recommending to you people who already look like of the people that you mm -hmm. like. How does this work now? Yeah, so what we were looking at was the the recommender system for new profiles to follow once you start following someone. And what uh, what I noticed was that if you're following uh, uh, someone who is, uh, uh, say, a, a teenage uh, uh, blonde girl, you're going to be recommended only other teenage blonde girls. And uh, same for if you recommend if you follow like a, a, a an older uh, uh, it, it even worked for like really interesting profiles like if you if you followed someone that had a, a visible handicap you'd you'd be recommended other people who had visible handicap or if, if you followed someone who had dyed hair it would follow recommend other people who also had dyed hair or like elderly people it it would really work for like a, a wide wide range of profile what was happening here is that. Because the algorithm is learning on engagement, it's gonna, it's, this is going to create this uh, of, uh, reinforcement. Does that affect kind of who rises to the top of some of these like social media platforms in terms of like a social media influencer? 
just because someone looks a certain way, it's going to push them to the top where somebody else who maybe has better content is not necessarily going to receive that. Yeah, push? absolutely. I mean, this is a, it's, it's kind of what, what becomes problematic. You, you, there is like, there can be big consequences uh, to these, uh, to these things. Uh, so I guess I didn't really explain well what, what was happening and why it was, it was happening. It's because there is this, the algorithm is basically using, uh, is, it's not that it's using facial featureization. It's not like, uh, it's not doing, uh, like looking at your face and kind of predicting from it. It's looking at which other people who have liked these profiles. If you look at, so you, you follow a, a first profile, you, you look at all the, peop- all the people who followed this profile and who else did they also follow? And there tends to be a lot, a big correlation between the profile that you follow. So for example, especially TikTok is a highly appearance-driven platform. People are mostly dancing and like singing. And so people tend to have quite homogeneous uh, taste in terms of what they like to see and who they like to see. And therefore, uh, the algorithm is going to learn that if you're following someone and, and it's trying to suggest someone who will who you will also be wanting to follow the best bet they can make is to is to recommend someone who looks basically exactly the same and the problem with that is like as you say there is already a, 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 discrep- a discrepancy as to who is popular on the platform and so if you look like the majority or if you look like the norm on the platform you basically have a higher likelihood to be to be recommended uh, as opposed to if you come from a, a, a minority, it is definitely a form of discrimination in terms of uh, of access to um, to fame in these platforms. Uh, also, social media are really important in building um, teenagers and younger people's identity. And here, what the platform is kind of saying is like, look, what really matters is what you look like. What did you think of the social dilemma? Oh, well, it's a, yeah, it's a really interesting, uh, a really interesting, uh, documentary. It's actually one of my collaborator, uh, Guillaume Shallow is, uh, is, uh, featured in it. It's, um, I think it really shows, uh, it points at, uh, kind of the core of the problem currently on, on, uh, social media, which is that the financial interests of the platforms are really driving the design of the, of, uh, of the recommended systems. And this has lots of really problematic consequences uh, in terms of uh, addiction to the services and also just promotion of, of unworthy content. Obviously, what is uh, what is a little bit lacking in this in this documentary is uh, that there is no really alternative or s- solution offered to 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 this uh, to this issue. But it's uh, I think there's lots of people working on 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 these um, this alternative way to to consume media and, and platforms, and we're we're hoping that soon there will be more options for the consumer because right now it's really hard to tell people, okay, well, look, we're depicting all things that are wrong with these platforms, but they are really near monopolistic situations. And because of such a, a of the importance of the network effect, you, you, you can't really just leave them and say, okay, I'm going to stop using that. Yeah, it's definitely a situation where whenever I hear somebody saying, oh, I'm leaving it. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. A question that I would have is like the algorithm what I don't really, I mean, I know what it is, but I don't necessarily know what it is. Like, it's just a mathematical formula or it's like a recipe, like you would bake a cake or what is an algorithm? Yeah, I mean, an algorithm is a, is like, if you look at the definition, it's kind of a recipe is like a, a systematic way in which you can process something to get an output. And uh, in the context of recommender system, uh, what it's doing basically is like it's calculating the probability that a given post is going to receive engagement and it's trying to find the one that has most engagement. Or another way to see it is like it, you, you look at this massive sea of content. So you can imagine like like this ocean of content and like every little drop is a, is a piece of is a, is a video or, or a post. And if you look at, imagine now you have like lots of ripples on your, on your, on your ocean and you're trying and, and the height of every individual droplet corresponds to the likelihood that this uh, post is going to receive engagement. So you're going to try to get one that is really high. And so what's interesting in, in this metaphor is that the sea obviously has all these undulations, but there are many different posts that have the same height. 
and there's many options uh, and many things you could recommend that have are going to have like very similar likelihood uh, to to generate engagement. And that's where you have a lot of like subjective choice that is made uh, on uh, by by, uh, by the platform design, which is which are you going to pick uh, out, out of all of these? And 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 that's where you have also a lot of kind of bias towards certain kinds of content. So the like the clickbaity ones and like the the uh, the more like sensationalist one because they have a tiny bit higher likelihood but in the end it's just like what the algorithm is doing is just like processing the post and like decomposing it in features what we call features so for example it can be like the words that are used in it or like who posted it which channel does it come from how how much the how when was it posted is it like an hour ago seven days ago and all of these different criteria are going to influence the, the the formula uh, kind of the decision function which is going to output this probability of how likely is it that you're going to engage with it are there people who are overseeing this or do they kind of make the creation and then push it out in the world and see what yeah happens? well so the, the problem is like the design the general design of the algorithm there are people who really oversee it and say okay this is how this pipe the pipeline is going to work but then because these these Algorithms are running on so much data and with so much, so many different criteria, it becomes impossible to follow what's happening for each individual piece of content. So if you go and ask a, 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 an engineer at Facebook why a given post was being recommended on your feed, they're not going to be able to tell you precisely why. They're going to be able to tell you, well, that's the design of the platform is, is doing this, but you can't really, you don't really have a lot of interpretability uh, for individual decisions that are made. It kind of sounds like we've created something that we don't even know what it's doing. I mean, we know some of what it's doing and you, you have, uh, uh, that's why there is kind of this kind of push towards more explainable and interpretable systems in the, in the, in AI. But currently it is a case that we, we, we do not know uh, in detail what is going on with every individual decision of these of these kind of deep learning systems. It's what kind of um, the problem with these. Um, so deep learning becomes when you have like these really successive layers of information processing, which make it really difficult to to break down the decision into uh, 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 and to go go back to to the cause of the decision. That seems kind of scary, especially in terms when you talk about like predictive policing. That the computer spits out this thing that we could potentially act upon but we don't actually know why we're acting mm -hmm. upon it only the absolutely. computer knows is that kind of the future that we could be heading yeah towards? absolutely i mean there is lots of misuses of ai uh, a lot of times we want the ai to tell us things uh, uh that it actually can tell us because there is actually no way you can, no way you can really predict crime but some people like to think that they can predict crime and so uh, it's also very much the case that sometimes AI systems are used more uh, because there is this whole first like uh, lack of knowledge as to what it, what the real capacities are of the systems. And also sometimes people just want to have this decision made regardless of if it's, uh, if it's uh, really uh, effective or not. And so uh, it, it is definitely uh, a, a problem and like the use of AI is put in particular facial recognition, uh, police department, it's, it's really, uh, really concerning. What's uh last thing? What's what kind of research are you working on now? What's coming up next for you? Uh, so right now, I'm actually focusing on the YouTube recommender systems. Uh, so so in particular, we're trying to look at uh, what is uh, what is being recommended across geographies because. Uh, I think that there is a lot of attention right now that is on uh, English content uh, and uh, because that's where uh, most of the researchers and are spending their energy, but also it is where most of the platform uh, investment is uh, is uh, is going. And and I and it seems I mean I can see that there is actually much the situation in terms of disinformation is much worse on in other languages. So I'm really trying to kind of point out this problem and to increase the pressure on, on, on YouTube and, and other platforms to do a better job globally. I want to thank Mark so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on Instagram and Twitter. And we have also included Mark's information 
in this episode's description. Okay, now let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw. Okay, do you know anybody that you would honestly say, you know what, that person has completely changed? Mm, no, not anyone close to me. Um, I do know some people that have gone to prison, <laughs> uh, but they weren't very close friends. But when they've, when they've gotten out, they've been uh, completely changed individuals. But no, nobody, nobody in my, my personal life. Okay. Well, I mean, going to prison, that would, that would, (laughs) that would do it. Okay. Other, all right. Other than somebody, you know, that has gone to prison, if you were going to put a percentage on it, what is the highest percentage that of highest percentage, someone that, you know, has changed like, okay, that person, that was the big, most kind of about face that anybody I know has done. And it was 30%. Like what, how high of a percent would you put on their, their change? You know, I think 30% is probably a good number. I, I'm going to go less than that, though. I'm going to say probably 15 to 25%. I, I, I'm I going to say that. I'm confident. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would stick it around 20% necessarily. Short of a ma- massive life-altering change like going to prison, <laughs> I don't think people are really capable of any more than between 10 to 20% change. I actually believe that the older you get, uh, the more you revert uh, back to the way you were. You know, I think that time frame between 20 and 35 is the most you're ever going to change or or start to change. And then you just start getting old and reverting back to, you know, things that you know and remember. I would say that's probably one of the wisest things you've ever said on this podcast where I've been like, oh, that's a good observation. (laughs) But also, I wouldn't say that necessarily somebody changes. I think that as you pass that age range, you get out like you just don't care anymore, right? Like, I'm not pretending to give a shit about this. You're defaulting rather than changing back would be my argument. Defaulting, that's a good word. Yeah, going back to what you originally uh, were or you originally were. I mean, I think everyone tries to change, right? I mean, I, I sure wasn't the drunkard that you met in Orlando. <laughs> That's not me at all, right? I mean, I'm complete, you know, 360 there. Yeah, no, you've definitely changed a <laughs> lot. You really you really do you okay, where do you think that you have improved yourself the most? Like, you know what? I've really done a better job of this over the last decade. Oh man! Right, some like deep questions, man. What right, are... like nothing. I can't think of a single thing that I could honestly say. You know what? I've really improved this facet. No, I really haven't. When I think about it, what am I? What is this turning into? Like a you know? I'm just a, a I just want to know. Now? We're getting we're getting ready to the new. We're getting up to the new year. I want to know how you have improved yourself. How do you think that you have improved yourself in the last decade? What area? <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm going to have to be a sap here, which you always dislike. I mean, I I, I would say personally, I haven't really changed. However, uh, you know, finding my wife and having children, whatever you want to say, whatever that changes a person, uh, I mean, that's happened. But other than that, personally, I'm, I'm really the same. Yeah, I would say that I'm the kind of person that tries to work on myself constantly. And even in this moment of reflection, I ain't done shit. <laughs> in 20 years like i just realized like where have i improved myself no i mean but I, I also think you're being kind of hard on yourself i mean you have a great family you know you have a, a good job i mean i mean there has to be some kind of change you've made no not really honestly like i feel like your family that just exposes a different side of you not necessarily that you have changed i really have not improved any of my qualities in the last 20 years. I don't think that's a ridiculous statement at all. You know, I mean, I'm thinking about it more and more, which I told myself I wasn't going to do. I can't think of one person around me that really has changed any of their qualities. Right. <laughs> the last 20 years, man. No, not really. Nothing Ugh. at all. Basically, if you're, it's that old saying, like, wherever you go, there you are. Right. You're still basically the same person. If you're a fuck up, you're always going to be a fuck up. <laughs> right? It's it's like it's like that thing with money. No matter how much money you have. If you're broke, you're always going to be broke. Yeah, I'm uh, I, I was kind of <laughs> thinking of that and thinking like, wow, yeah, if I had like 50 million dollars, I'd probably spend 40 of it within the first year. Right. You would probably buy all kinds of stupid wrestling action figures and try hey, to don't like, you oh. talk shit about 
my Hasbro collection. Wait a minute. It, who's the like? Okay, who's the who's the what's the the thing that everybody every wrestling collector is going for? Right? Who? What are you fighting in a parking lot over? Like a Hulk Hogan in the box? <laughs> to be honest, it's actually a set of trading cards from 1982, 1983, which are the quote-unquote rookie cards of several all-stars, uh, like Ric Flair, Andre the Giant, uh, things. Like that's the hottest thing right now. There's mm. only like 500 sets made. Um, Sounds like a lot. <laughs> not really. Um, but yeah, anyway, no one cares about... No, that. I just want to know how much is it um, worth. Like, if you got in your hands on that, how much is that worth? How much is a signed Ric Flair rookie card? I, I can't put it on. If To me, I would never sell it, but you could probably get between... Please say, like, $50. No, I mean, if it's in, if it's in like, you know, 10, like, like, 1 out of 10, if it's on, like, the mint level, probably a 5 grand between 1 and 10 Gs for it. Okay, so the most valuable thing in wrestling is worth five thousand dollars. <laughs> no, you're only talking about collector. I mean, oh, if... you're laughing at me like I'm the stupid guy. No, I'm not. I'm not. I would never oh, call this you guy, stupid. He doesn't even know how much Ric Flair rookie card is. Oh my god, this noob. How, how did we get from driver? a deep conversation? Uh, to Rick rookie cards. That's because why this podcast all ties is so together in the fact that you haven't improved yourself because you've been busy looking for Rick Flair rookie cards. <laughs> I, uh, you know, kind of like what you already have said. Got nothing. No, people, you know, that's what I like. And yes, I will never change in that facet. I, however, I did. I was a little uncharacteristic when I first lived in Orlando. Because I was trying to be somebody I wasn't, but that lasted about a whole year and a half. So, hmm. okay, um, you know, how'd that work but... out for you? If you could go back, <laughs> would you rather be the person you are now or the person you were pretending to be all those years ago? No, I would rather be the nerd, you know, who you know just did other things. Because I, uh, we don't need to get into it, but I, I killed my liver. Uh, because of it, <laughs> drinking every single day and night. Um, and that's not actually for people who are listening. That's not actually an exaggeration. Like he literally had to go to the doctor, and the doctor told him to stop drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like actually like a legitimate problem, not like oh, I drink too much. <laughs> like no, sir. And I, you really I, actually drink too much. I feel like I need to preface that with, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not laughing at uh, people who have issues like that. Um, oh, well, that's good. But, but you make me laugh and it makes it sound like it. But yeah, so, you know, but once again, I only changed, you know, like my outer shell. I didn't actually change, so. No, huh? This is all just a false front. Just a lot of Can we just go back to my original question of how you feel? Like if you're in a conversation with your neighbor and your neighbor is clearly talking to you and then halfway through the conversation, they start using your name when they're clearly talking to you. Does that bother you? Because it bothers me. I'm always like, why are you, why are you using my name? I'm right here. <laughs> um, I mean, once again, I don't. I don't think either of my neighbors have said my name. I think they just. I think. Oh, wow. Uh, one of my neighbors, who I believe might listen to this podcast, uh, we call each other. <laughs> oh my god! Let's hear it. You have a pet nickname with your neighbor. Let's hear what this is going to be because it's definitely going to be something cool. It's no, it's not. It's uh, neighbor Reno. <laughs> oh I can't believe God, it. I bet you guys are. Do you say it like with that stupid cheese smile? Like, hey, neighbor Reno. Heidi ho, neighbor Reno. God, and he says it back with that equally stupid look on his face, too, doesn't he? <laughs> you know, it, it's even to the point to where, you know, before the pandemic hit, his uh, he has teenage daughters and they would watch my children, uh, you know, so the wife and I go out every now and again and. We would start the conversation with Heidi Ho, <laughs> Heidi Ho, Neighborino. Wow, dude! Look, first of all, blame. Second of all, whatever it. makes you happy. Thank you. All right, is he significantly older? Same age? What kind of age range are we talking? <laughs> uh, I mean, probably forty to fifty. Um, okay, so general same age, like right? Basically, once you have kids, you become the same age as anyone else who has kids. Yeah, you're on the same playing field, at least. Right. Even if you're like 22 and they're 60, if you both have kids, you're still the same age. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. In a weird way, yes. That's um, that's how it works. Life station. You can both <laughs> talk about that. 
Anyway, are you ready? Let's go. Let's do it, man. Let's give some shout-outs. Okay. All right. It's still, I mean, that's still pretty awkward, but it's better than what you've been doing when you try to segue into it. What? When I go, shout-outs? Yeah. Outs, 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 outs. I'm working on the uh, the echo there. All right. Don't keep working. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you say keep twerking? Yeah, dude. That's what I said. I know you didn't say that. All right. Uh, let's start off in Twitter here. Um, We'll start off with Thomas, uh, Brawny, Kudjo, Irene, Aaron Moskul, and uh, Summer Walters. Appreciate all of you checking us out. Uh, it's definitely not summer where I live, but either way. Uh, wow. Instagram. Wow. Uh, Instagram, here we got David Rowe and Dave Walker. How you spell Rowe? R-O-W-R-O-E. R-O-W-E. Okay. Uh, Rodrigo Catalano. Ryan Vista and Dennis O'Dowd. Y'all get the uh, share of star for the week for checking us out on uh, social media. Yeah, how many people do you think Dennis Dowd is referred to as DD? <laughs> Man. Probably everybody he knows, and now he'll never listen again because you said that. No, he definitely hates that. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, you have to wear one, uh, a scarf or a fanny pack. Oh, shoot. I have a pathological hatred of scarves. I think it's the most ridiculous thing in the world because at no point have I ever thought to myself, man, my neck is just cold right now. I really need to warm up my neck. I just think it's a ridiculous looking thing. It's it's stupid to me. So I would actually go fanny pack out of sheer irony, right? Like you're not wearing a fanny pack for any other reason than to basically just be kind of a tongue in cheek jackass. And it might hold something. So a fanny pack. There's no reason to wear a scarf. Just none. None. I just can't find any that fit around my neck, but it's fine. Um, All right. Uh, Would you rather pierce your eyebrow or get a barcode tattoo on the back of your neck? Piercing your eyebrow? Am I going with a ring or do I have like a stud? Oh, no. We're going to make it a ring. Like something oh, that's noticeable. Right. If it's a stud kind of thing. Then I would go with piercing my eyebrow. But if I had to go to with a ring, then I would go barcode a tattoo on the back of my neck. <laughs> Here's my son again, who is very proud of his new shirt that says rocket around the Christmas tree. And it's got a rocket on it. <laughs> He's already way cooler than you. Yeah, he is. His clothes are sweet. <laughs> All right. Uh, He's standing one... here, though. He doesn't know what to say. What's up, man? There's a special class in my room. So we're doing this. Now we're just kicking our friends so we won't. Cool, man. All right, thank you. Keep me informed. <laughs> and now he's going to break something, which is. Right. He's kicking do. someone in his room, is what he's trying to get across. I don't know. <laughs> this, is what, this is what life is like with a four year old. This they have the most amazing thing to tell you that is the coolest thing in the world that makes no sense to you when you talk to them. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, are you a, are you an old-fashioned number two pencil guy, or are you going to use a mechanical pencil? Get the fuck out of here with a mechanical pencil. <laughs> I, kind of I don't know where you that. grew up in Hollywood. You're palatial <laughs> Manson over there with your mechanical pencil. Get a number two. That's a ridiculous thing. That's ridiculous to me, right? You got to fill it back up with lead. Always the worst. Plus, when you were in class, you could like get up and then you, it was an excuse to basically snap yourself back to attention or to leave the room or to do something else. Like, I go sharpen my pencil. I mean, I, I love it. I, I love the mechanical pencil. That doesn't surprise you, though, I'm sure. Riley's hurt? He's back. Is Riley hurt or not? He is hurt. Oh, okay. He's stuck in. He's just stuck in. Okay. I don't know, dude. <laughs> he stuck his finger in the door or something. He got hurt. Whatever. My my wife's up there. She's got it. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I got. You want to move on to the top five so we can wrap this up? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. All right. Let's no do it. peace in this Vinzian household. Also, I left the door open. Probably shouldn't do this in the middle of the house, but we, can, we can't point fingers all day, right? No. Nope, okay, so nope. Our top five is top five websites. What's your number five? Uh, I'm curious to see how you did this. Um, my number five is nice and easy. It's simply Amazon. Okay. 
Now, why is Amazon on there for you? Uh, you know, just because obviously it's like a shopping hub and uh, I mean, it's, ch- it's cheaper and, uh, Amazon prime, uh, and shipping is usually free. Really okay, all I got. So you're looking at it for practical purposes, not because you like to shop around. Yeah. Simply. Yeah. hundred percent practical. I'm a practical guy, Nick. Okay. All right, that makes a little bit of sense. I have a similar one. I'll just give my number four. So I have my number four is eBay and Craigslist, mostly because they're like Amazon, but more entertaining. Like you can see some dumb, weird shit on eBay and Craigslist that you're not necessarily going to say on a professional website like Amazon, which is why I don't have Amazon on my list. But that's my number four. My number five is just because I think it's funny is The Onion. <laughs> uh I mean, I don't disagree. I, I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't go to it ever, but I obviously know of it. So. Okay. Yeah. It's too funny for me. It's a website that's actually too funny for me to go look at because then I can't accomplish anything for the rest of the day. <laughs> Not that I was doing anything in the first place. What's your number four? Um, so I have Google just straight up Google. I feel like it's becoming a little bit irrelevant though. Like you don't have to Google as much stuff as you used to. It's still way up there. But you don't have to do it as often, right? Yeah, you know, two reasons why I have it on the list. One, it's my search engine. So I'm I'm like, you know, I open up a browser. It's the first thing that pops up. And second is they always have cool little, uh, you know, things tied into their logo with what's going on in the world. Oh, so you're telling me that you go there and just check out that doodle every day just to see what it is? Is that well? If that's what it's called, then I uh, I wouldn't say I like I said. Every time I open up my browser, it pops up. So if you want to say that I go there to look at it, you can. But either way, like I how see it. How long do you day. look at it though? Give me a time for how long uh, you look at the doodle. <laughs> uh, I look at the images on Google dot com, uh, the search engine, probably for uh, thirty seconds to a minute. You're looking at the doodle for thirty seconds to a minute. I mean, sometimes you, they do things. Sometimes, you know, they, they play songs or there's animations. Wow. I I don't understand why you're getting so angry at this. No, I'm just fascinated by it. I mean, look, like everybody else, I see the Google Doodle, but I'm, I don't understand how you do any more than five seconds. Like, oh, okay, that's what it is today. And then I move on with my life. Like, I'm not writing down what are my thoughts about it in my journal while I'm looking at it. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, sometimes it's like, oh, hey, you know, it's this is this is the first thing I'm thinking of. Oh, it's, uh, you know, for MLK Day. Great. And then maybe for Christmas, they have like a Christmas tree that you can click on and it plays Christmas music. You know, wow. some are some are quick, some are more in depth. You know, OK, what's your give me your favorite? What's your all time favorite Google Doodle there? Dollar. <laughs> Since this is part of your research project that you're doing. Good God. Uh, I I wouldn't say this is my favorite, but the one that sticks out was, uh, I don't know, a few years ago for Thanksgiving, they had a, a table and there was people around the table and like you clicked on a person and they stood up and there was an animation of them eating something different. Mm. I just remember have, that one. Have you ever looked at one and then called it and like told somebody else about it to go look? No, I've never done that. Okay, you're not at that level yet. So you're not like a 77-year-old person who hasn't used the internet before, but you're still amazed by relatively simple things. I, I mean, uh, just stick a, a bright light in front of my face, and I'm I'm set for hours. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what it gets down to. Um, wait, what was that? That was my number four. Um, my number three, I got I to gotta go with the Homer pick here, and it's just going to be profoundlypointless.com. Oh, shameless promotion. <laughs> also for people who just heard that john also used to have a responsibility to update the website with his john's corner thing that lasted one week so there's that, that tells you how much he's going to the website so <laughs> Listen, his I, favorite website is something he never actually uses i i'm just you know i like said a it's dick. a it's, <laughs> That's a homer pick. What's your number three? All right. It's something I look at a lot, but don't get to you. Well, can barely even see that anyways. Anyways. All right. Um, what's your number three? Google. <laughs> you just, all right. Whatever. I, I'm not the, I don't go to the Google for the Google doodle. I'm there doing stuff. I'm not wasting my day away seeing what they're going to do with the same one, two, three, four, five, six letters. 
<laughs> When's like, the last ooh, time? What are they going to do with the G today? What's the? Do you remember the last thing you searched for on Google? Oh. Do you say it on this podcast? God dang it. Yes, I, I did. I was looking up the X-Men Rogue to see how powerful she was. <laughs> that's what I was doing. That's you, man. Listen, I ain't going to hate on you because that's who you She's are. Got super yeah. Well, the thing is, her powers change all the time. And she was one of my favorite characters growing up. And I had to just like, oh, okay, I was waiting for you because you weren't on time. Um, and I was looking to see, like, I wonder what Rogue's powers are now. And she apparently has super strength and absorbed Wonder Man. I can't <laughs> that, remember which one that was. Must have been a lame character, but so they. That is, like, that oh. is not true, by the way. I, I was on time, just so everybody knows. Mm, yeah, I think you probably was. Okay, what's your number two? Uh so my number two is eBay. Okay, um, that's it's pretty high for eBay, but also you're a big collector, so that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I use it the most. Their app is 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 pretty good. I mean, everyone's going to have their negatives towards it, but you know. Uh, I, I I really have nothing bad to say about eBay. It's treated me well for the last couple of years. Okay. Um, my number two is a website that if you don't have a similar themed website as your number one, I'm going to call you a liar right now. Okay. My number two is Pornhub. <laughs> I, I do not have a similar uh, website as my number one, no. Okay, well, then you're clearly a liar. <laughs> because I'm 100% sure that, that a similar website like that is on your browser history at least every other day. No, you you have to delete the browser history so your wife doesn't find it. Right, but if you forgot <laughs> to delete it for a day, she would find a similar themed website on your browser history <laughs> I I'm, I'm gonna stay mum on that. I I don't think it would come up as frequently as you think it would. I think if for most people it probably would. I'm gonna I, say that a th- for every man in existence is visiting a website like that at least twice a week. Yeah, I would. Uh, well, I would go. I would go even more than that. I would say four to five times a week. I wouldn't argue with that. The only reason I would argue with that is if somebody was exceptionally busy that week. <laughs> You're and never too busy. You're never too busy. You really aren't. <laughs> no one, everyone has a spare 30 seconds. Yes, <laughs> 30 seconds. Yes, everyone has a spare 30 to do whatever. To do what, John? To do what? Anyways, all right. Uh, my number one, um, and I thought it, I, I would think it's most people's number ones, but I could be wrong. And that's uh, just Wikipedia. Ooh, yeah, mine too. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I, I probably learned more from Wikipedia than I have at, at, off of anything else in my entire life. Do you remember? Because both of us. Me more than you, because I think I'm a couple years older. Do you remember when you actually had to like look shit up? <laughs> like, like really look something up like get a book <laughs> yeah i mean I, I remember having to do book reports and things in, in school in grade school and having to go to the library and actually doing you know real work not just typing in nick van Zandt on my phone and i get your full wiki page which is kind of lame by the way that's not a good one do i actually <laughs> have a wikipedia page uh i don't know to be honest i've never looked you up the only reason I would be like the one of those ones that would be deleted. <laughs> a lot of former journalists have Wikipedia pages. It wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be completely crazy, and it would be utter, It would also be meaningless if I, other than like <laughs> Wikipedia page. <laughs> I I would just put on there like uh, born with a small dick, died um, with a small dick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> born tiny, died tiny. <laughs> yeah. Accomplished but- little else in between. USAA life insurance, baby. <laughs> oh, great life insurance. What's in your honorable mention? I'm really um, surprised some of your choices weren't on there. I thought you were going to put some other stuff on there. Uh, you know, I, I actually thought about this one, believe it or not. And I I thought about maybe like ESPN.com or, or a sports website, but I, I really don't go to them as often as you think. Um, but well, they're kind of pointless. They're basically pointless. I was going to make fun of you if you put it on there because essentially all you need with sports is to know what the score was. Athlete interviews are meaningless, completely worthless. Well, I mean, on my honorable mention, I I do have the sports references, like baseball reference, basketball reference. Were they 
where they are just basically box scores, but they dig into the stats. I mean, oh, okay, because you need to know who hit a jumper from the top of the key in the second quarter. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's nice just to get lost in, in a good box score. I'm not going to lie to you, and all the metrics and things. Wow. Okay. Uh, regardless, I, uh, you know, obviously, I, I think if we were going like social media, like Facebook.com, Instagram.com, those would be one through three, right? And Twitter. Because we all use those the most, but I didn't include those because they're really just social media apps. No, for some reason, I don't consider Instagram to be a website. I do consider Twitter, though, to be a website. Facebook, I don't give a shit about. YouTube, <laughs> I consider to be a website. But I don't think of like Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat as websites. I think of them more as apps. It's going to be quite interesting to see how that all plays out with Facebook, by the way. I know that we're not talking about that, but... Um, it'll just be interesting to see what happens. Another thing in 2021 to be on the lookout for. Okay. All right. You heard it here first. <laughs> Not only vaccines and a new president elect, but, uh, you know, see if Facebook can survive. Yeah, dude, it will. It's like a billion dollar company. It's going to be fine. Of course it will. Maybe they'll sponsor uh, us. Anyway. Probably not. <laughs> I actually don't think we would accept it. No, we would. (laughs) No, we got no morals. Um, You're the moneymaker. Get us on Pornhub. (laughs) Dude, I take a Pornhub sponsorship. Um, All right, move on. What's in your honorable mention? Uh, I don't know where I left off. That that was pretty much it. Um, I also have uh, (laughs) Yahoo uh, for Yahoo Mail because that's my primary mail thing. But other than that, actually put that on a job resume and expect to get a call back. What, my email? Yeah, Yahoo. Like, yeah, oh. dude, I'm not giving you – you're not getting that job. Let me go ahead and tell you that right now. The so, only acceptable mail for job applications is Gmail. Uh, I mean, I have one of those too, but I, I, I usually use my Yahoo 100%. Okay, how's that working out? I mean, I have a job. So. <laughs> you have a job. <laughs> touché, touché, touché. You know, my neighbor has a job, whatever you want to say. Anyways. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I'd really like to hear what your guys' favorite websites are. I mean, it's pretty hard to beat Wikipedia and Pornhub-like sites. Pretty much everybody is going to those. But I'd really like to hear what, what other websites that you guys are frequenting. What do you think should be in the top five? Thanks again for listening. If you get a chance... Like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. We're gonna be we're gonna be kind of relaunching the show starting in January. Are we gonna do anything different? I mean, not really, but we're gonna put more effort into it. I guess that's the thing that we're gonna do that's different. That counts, right? Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.